0: We have been in this little series called Simplify, and we started talking about three basic words, overwhelmed, overscheduled, and exhausted. And my guess is that describes a whole bunch of us in this room. How many in the room feel like that sometimes? How about you feel like that a lot of the times? I think most of us, a lot of us should say... We, we run like this. And, and these were the three words that we kind of uh, began this whole series with. And, and then a couple of weeks ago, we had all these buckets up on, on stage here. And if you remember, we talked about this idea that, that we have to somehow find a way to fill the bucket of our life. And the whole idea was that, that our soul, if it runs on empty for too long, it will not go well for us. It, it will be a disaster for us. It, it, we will end up in a very dangerous place. But when we're, when we're full, right, when the bucket of our life is full, when, when the spirit of God is alive in us, when we're full of love, when we're full of goodness, when we're full of physical energy, when we're full of life, right, we're, we're at our best. Nobody would argue that, right? That when, when you're full, when, when the reservoir of your soul is just full, you are at your best. You are making the best decisions. You're praying the best prayers. You're, you're loving at your best. You're, you're, you're loving as a father, a husband, a wife, a mother, as a friend, as a, as a child. You are loving at your best. And you are loving God at your best. When the reservoir of your, of your soul, when your bucket is full. But, but when it's empty. It's a dangerous place to be. I think you know this. How many in the room would you say you've been empty before and you feel like there's just nothing left and you're just running on fumes? That is a dangerous place to be. You do not make the best decisions of your life. You, You know this. When you're empty, your friends know this. The people around you know that you're empty. It does not go well for you for very long. As a matter of fact, we, we often get into like ruts, right? But and when our soul is empty, we don't have enough horsepower to even jump ruts. To, we, we know we don't want to be there. We, don't, we know we don't want to head in this direction. But when we're empty, we just can't seem to pull ourselves up and out of it. And so we've been trying to get some language around this. We've been trying to get some thinking around this. And we said that the bottom is no place to live. We can't live there consistently. We have to somehow figure out how to fill our bucket. We have to somehow take responsibility for ourselves. And we have to somehow figure out the streams that replenish us, right? We started talking about these streams that, that we can pour into our lives. And it's, it looks different for everybody. It looks different for, me, for, for you than it does for me. But, but those streams often include streams of spirituality. There's something that fills your spirit. The, these streams often uh, involve uh, relational streams, right? Where there's these friendships and these people in your world that somehow fill you rather than deplete you. And we talked about ultimately how there are even physical streams, recreational streams in your, in your life that, that do something to jump your soul, to lift to lift your, your spirit, right? And so this idea of simplifying, by the way, I, 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 it took me 35 minutes to preach that last time. It only took me three minutes this time. How's that, huh? Don't you wish all the sermons can be like three minutes an hour? That'd be sweet. Um, well, we, we've, been, we've been talking about this idea of simplifying, right? And, and it's not so much about doing less. It's about doing the right things. It's not about having an empty life or an empty schedule, it's having the right schedule. It's doing the right thing. Uh, simplifying has everything to do with freedom in our life. It has everything to do with margin in our life. Simplicity is is about having a simple soul. Simplicity is about this idea of, of having a soul that connects with God, that that God is not just doing things through you and that you're not just accomplishing things in the world, but that God is doing things in you because you're connected with, with him. Simplicity brings this idea of joy. Simplicity brings this idea of peace. Uh, simplicity brings this idea of balance in our life. How many in the room have ever said, you know, I need to get some balance in my life. I just, I can't keep running like this. I got to figure out a way to balance this thing out. Anybody ever say that? Well, if you're like me, you've said it a thousand times. But, but, but the preacher from the book of Ecclesiastes, a guy named King Solomon, he understood the human heart's He understood this need for balance. He understood this, how how difficult it is to do this. This is how he says it some 3,000 plus years ago. This is what he says. Um, God made man simple. He made man simple. Other translations use the word upright or, or the ability to stand tall. And what's meant by that is this idea that we are meant not to be blown around by the demands of this world. We're not meant to be blown over by every wave that comes our life. That God wants a simple life for us. That he wants a strong life for us. A purpose-driven life for us. And, but it says God made man simple. But listen to this. Man's complex problems. But man's complex problems. Anybody have complex problems? <laughs> They're of your own doing. They're of your own devices, right? Um, I I think that is so true, isn't it? I love how the message translation uh, puts this. Uh, The the message is not a translation. It's a paraphrase of the Bible. It kind of retells it. It looks at it and kind of puts it in a different English. And this is what it says um, in in the message. It says, God made men and women to be true and upright. We're the ones who made a mess of everything. So true. It is really, really true. So many of life's demands, so many of life's stresses, so many of life's struggles, so many of life's conflicts, at least for me, are of my own doing. Uh, They're self-perpetuated in my life. And my guess is they're probably like that for many of you as well. That if you were to look around at the world's problems, if you were to look around at your problems, if you were to look around your individual life problems, the majority of them are self-inflicted. The struggles are self inflicted. Because listen, friends, at least in my life, and I think this is true of yours, I'm the one who chooses the course of my life. I'm the one who chooses my, my, what I do with my time, what I do with my schedule. Let me, let me say it like this. I am the one who determines or who decides who I am becoming in this world. And so are you. You are the one who decides who you will become in this world. You are the one who decides what you let God do in you and through you. You are the one who makes a decision with your time. We're all given the same amount of time. And you have to ultimately decide what to do with the precious few moments that you're you're given in this life. I'm going to throw um, a quote at you from a guy named Richard Foster. Now, Richard Foster, um, if you read a lot of Richard Foster, your head will explode. And so will your heart. And that's a good thing. Um, this man, when, when he writes, um, gosh, when I read this stuff, it's so convicting. It is so strong. It is so powerful. And, and he writes in his book called The Celebration of Disciplines, um, he writes a chapter called uh, The Spiritual Discipline of Simplicity. It takes work to have a simple heart. It, has, it, it takes work to have a simple soul that connects deeply with God. Do, do you realize this? It takes real work to make this happen. It takes real discipline to make this happen. And here's what he writes in his book. He, he says this. The Christian discipline of simplicity, listen, is an inward reality that results in an outward lifestyle. It's, it's an inward thing, but it works its way outward in our life. Both the inward and the outward aspects of simplicity are essential. We deceive ourselves if we believe we can possess the inward reality without it having a profound effect on our lives he's talking about this idea of balance isn't he this is what i think he means by that he's saying that we got to get the inward life that we want to have this inward soul that we want to have we got to get that to match the outward life that we already live in that's deep We've got to somehow sync these things together. We've got to somehow put these things together. He's saying that if we don't get the outward life straight, we will never have the inward soul that many of us in this room desire. You see, a lot of us in this room, we, we come into this place and we get all fired up. We get all charged up. We say, God, I want to do something with this in my life. I want you to, to, to speak into my life. I want you to pour into my life. I want more of you and less of me. A whole bunch of us go out of this place like that but we go right back to the other life that we have. And he's saying if we can't sync those two things together, we won't get either one. We won't have the inward life that we want and the outward life that we do have. It'll continue to ruin us. It'll continue to make more and more and more and more demands from us. So let's take this very, very spiritual concept of a a simple soul, of a connected soul, and let's make it very, very practical. We've been talking about three words, right? We've been talking about this idea of being overwhelmed, overscheduled, and exhausted. And what I want to do is I want to lift that middle expression, overscheduled. And I want to dial into the busyness of our lives just a little bit. And, and remember, I want to just preach to myself for the next little bit. Um, because this is me. Um, I am so tired of saying I am too busy and not doing anything about it. Right? And so um, if it's okay, again, I'm just going to preach to me. And if you want to listen in, that's totally fine with me. All right? Because maybe this will apply uh, to some of you as well. But but here's what I hear from people around our own little community here. Um, I, I hear all the time that People say, I'm just too busy. Um, I hear this constantly. People are going, I'm overscheduled, I'm overworked, and we complain about it. We get upset with it. Uh, I don't have any time for anything fun in my life. I don't have any time for any enjoyment hobbies that I would like to develop in my life. And what's funny is it almost becomes something that we brag about, right? I'm too busy. I'm too, I got so much going on. and we, It's almost like we're bragging about it. And why is that, friends? It almost becomes bragging because somehow we think if we're really, really, really busy, then we're really, really, really popular, that we're in demand, that somehow we're really important. And, and so a whole bunch of us complain about this idea of being busy. And remember, being busy isn't just a schedule. It's a heart condition. Being in a hurry just isn't a schedule thing. It's a heart thing. And so we say all the time, I don't want uh, to live like this anymore. I don't want to be like this anymore. And so here's what I'm wondering. I'm kind of wondering out loud. Then why do we keep doing it? I mean, if, if a whole bunch of us say, I'm just too busy, I'd like, to, I'd like to find a new sense of balance in my life, I'd like to develop some other things, And why do we continue to per, uh, self-perpetuate this over-scheduled sort of life? Sort of life, right? Let, let me ask you, um, uh, let, me, let me say something to you. I, I think I have a, a, a grasp on this because I, I think a whole bunch of us struggle with this idea of being overscheduled. And you know what? You know how I know this? Because about a third of you are late to church all the time. I mean, really. I mean, it's, it's, it's true. I mean, uh, like Easter, like just a couple weeks ago, uh, we had wonderful crowds of people and people were so excited about being in church. And it was funny because we had a big video that week. Remember that? And we, it's up on the screen and all that. And by the second or third service, I kind of knew what I was doing by then. And so I, I kind of made my way to the back and people were still streaming in. Like, like the video, we didn't even start the video until halfway through the service and people were still pouring in the doors. It was crazy. And so I'm in the back and uh, I'm seating people and welcoming people and you know, telling them I'm so excited you're here. And I'm trying to get them in their seats and all that. And people thought it was kind of funny because like I could tell, I mean, because they were saying like, Hey, you're the guy on the screen right now. And wow, you're seating us. And they'd get a little chuckle out of that. Right. And, and, And I did not think it was funny. As a matter of fact, you know what I wanted to say? I wanted to say, yeah, I'm the guy on the screen and you missed half of it already. Do you know how much work this was? Do you know how good this was for your soul? And you're just now rolling in halfway through? Of course, I didn't say that because I want them to come back to church, right? But I wanted to say it. Um, I, I wondered about this. This is true. I, I just wonder: is, like, is there like a, a game that's going on that I don't realize? Because it seems like a, there's about a third of people who roll in late every week. And I'm just wondering, do you guys like rotate this? Or like do you email each other? Because I don't get any of these emails. Like, hey, it's my turn to be late this week. I don't know. I'm just I don't, I don't know. It's crazy to me, though. It really is. Um, and let me ask you a question. Let me, let me ask you a straight-up question, a very important question. What would your schedule look like, or how would you spend your time if God were in charge of it? What would you do? How, if, if you knew that you were accountable to God for every moment of your life, for every minute that you spend... Every second that you breathe. What would your schedule look like? What would the the care of your time look like? Um, Please don't let that just float by you. Don't let that sink into your soul a, a little bit. What would be different about who you are and what you do with your precious days? My guess is that there'd be something different in all of us, in every one of us. Listen to what Paul says. He's one of the great, great leaders in human history. He's one of the early church leaders, and God used him to literally change the world. Uh, His his name was Paul, and this is what he says to the little church in Ephesus. There's a little church of Christians that is growing up, and they're trying to figure out how to engage the world around them. And and this is what Paul says to them in Ephesians 5, uh, starting in verse 15. He says, look carefully, then how you walk. In other words, be careful how you live. Be careful with what you do with your precious days. They're going to slip right by you if you're not careful. He says this. He says, look then carefully how you walk, not as unwise, but as what? Say it. Wise. Wise. He says, be wise with your days, making the best use of the, say it, Time. time. Making the best use of the time that God gives you because the days are evil. And this is like a brand new idea to some of us. What would you do? different if God were actually in charge of your time, if you actually were accountable to him for every moment of every single day. Now, some of you in this room, you're already a little bit worried because you came to church and you're going, oh, man, why is a guy talking about time management and schedules? Shouldn't we talk about something more important than that? Shouldn't we talk about something far meatier and substantial? Uh, Much more than this. This is just uh, silly almost talking about this. But what if I was to say to you that I actually believe that how you arrange your days, how you actually put your schedule together is one of the most holy endeavors that you could ever do in your life. That when you figure out what you're going to do today and tomorrow and all of next week and the next 30 days, that is one of the holiest things, one of the most holy endeavors that you could possibly do. Friends, I hope you don't think I'm exaggerating when I say that because I really believe it's true. Um, you have to plan to become the person you want to become. You have to plan to become the person that you want to become. Everything in the world, everything in the world, listen, everything in this world takes the best intentions that I have and it destroys them. It knocks them flat. It sucks the spirit life right out of me. And my guess is it's true of you as well. And so you have to plan to become the person that you want to become. Um, And the schedule that we keep, listen friends, the schedule that we create Helps us to become what God wants us to become. It puts a priority list in our life. Um, I, I heard my man Bill Hybels, he's a pastor of a little church out in Chicago, like 25, 30,000 people a week. It's crazy. Um, but he, he pastors this church out there, and uh, he's had such a tremendous influence on me. And he writes uh, this little comment about scheduling. He says, My scheduling is far less about what I have to get done, and it's far more about who I want to become wow, who do you want to become in this world? Who do you want to be? What do you want God to shape inside of you? You have to plan for that to happen. You have to schedule for that to happen. Um, how do most of us plan our schedules? Most of us, this is what we do. We, we grab a piece of paper and then we sit down and we say, what do I got to get done this week? Come on, It's true. You'll never do great things like that. You'll do things that you have to do. And let me pause just for a second. There are things we have to do. There is laundry to be done in all of our homes, right? I was just explaining to my 16-year-old before church today. <laughs> you got to go home and help with laundry, pal, right? It's just something that we all have to do. There are things to be, to be gotten done in our life. So most of us, what we do is we grab a pencil and we write down the list of everything that's got to get done in our life, everything that we got to do to keep the creditors away, everything we got to do to keep the inspectors away, to keep you know, human services from taking our kids. We do what we got to do in life. And then we grit our teeth and we pray a little prayer, God, help me to get through the next 30 days of my life. And friends, I'm just not so sure that that's the way God wants us to live. I'm not so sure that I can become the man God wants me to be if I live my life that way and I, and I plan my schedule that way, if I plan my days that way. Um, let, let me just read a little story that Bill Hybels wrote in his book called Simplify. And uh, it is such a powerful little story. And I just want you to take it in. I just want you to listen to it. I just want you to hear it with your soul for a moment. He, he writes this little story about his then three-year-old little girl named Shauna He writes this, my life was a, was a, was about what I had to get done, what I had to accomplish. I put my schedules together this way all through high school, all through college, during my time in the family business, and even in the early days of of starting our church. And I would probably still be putting schedules together in the exact same way, except that a three-year-old little girl named Shauna, who is all grown up now, um, this little girl had completely stolen my heart since the day that she was born. And one night she asked me a very simple question as I was heading out the door. Again, she's three years old, he writes, and I'm heading out the door to another meeting at my church. She doesn't ask this question out of anger. She, does, she asks it out of sheer curiosity. She walks up to me at the door and she goes, Daddy, Daddy, are you going to be gone again tonight? Pure curiosity, Daddy, are you going to be gone again tonight? And with those nine words, my approach to scheduling came crashing down on me like a rotted oak tree. Daddy, are you gonna be gone again tonight? I kissed her goodbye at the door and as I'm driving over to the church, I'm thinking all the way there, why am I even going out again tonight? Well, the answer came very easily to me. The meeting was on my schedule, just like the one the previous night and just like the one the previous night and just like the one the following night. My schedule was uh, was full and my schedule was filled with important things to do, but I felt a growing tension inside of me as I I was driving over to the church. And I'm asking for the first time in my life, if you can believe this, he writes, I'm asking for the first time in my life, should my weekly schedule include non-work responsibilities? Or to put it another way, Bill writes, how holistic could or should my schedule be? Should it always be about work stuff and logistical stuff, things I must accomplish to get paid, or... Should my schedule be more holistic in its approach? And I started asking, am I looking at my life, at my work, at my schedule from the right perspective, or is there another way that I should be looking at it? And then the clincher came as I asked myself, how much, listen, how much did I really Uh, involve God and prayer and wisdom from the Holy Spirit when I put my schedule together? How much did I ask God to lead me on the things that he truly wants me to do in life, what I should put my time toward? Or am I just cranking out more and more work, trying to cram more and more into my life? The next morning, I went out to the coffee shop, had a fresh piece of paper to work with, and and that question that Shauna had asked me the previous night was still front in my mind. And so I began to write this question, what investment of time will it take for me to be a great dad to that precious little girl? I basically grew up with an absentee father. Shauna deserved better than an absentee father. And so I asked, what investment of time will it take for me not to be an average dad or just to get along with her or just to keep her out of rehab when she becomes an adult? He writes, what would be the appropriate time investment During her little girl years, growing up for me to become a great dad to her. I asked God for wisdom in that moment. And I felt the Holy Spirit say to me, a whisper to me, four nights. Four nights. Four nights a week at home. Start there, Bill. I felt the Holy Spirit say four nights a week at home. You can change it as the kids get older. But for now, your littlest ones, they need four nights a week from you. And then came an almost out-of-body experience for me. I worked up the courage inside of me and I started thinking to myself, you know what? I don't care what other dads do. I don't care uh, if, if other guys say that they can do this on a once uh, one-week-and-night basis. I don't care if someone else says anything else. God gave me Shauna and God gave me Todd as treasures to enjoy and it's my responsibility to raise them. And I thought, I am going to change my life. In that moment, I decided I had to change my schedule. And then he says this, I remember writing on the calendar for the first time for a particular week in my schedule, the word home. I wrote home and then home and then home. And that become, that word home became just as an important word as any other meeting that I had scheduled. Just like the business meetings or ministry meetings or the uh, equal status to the elder meetings of the church or to the board meetings or the property acquisition meetings or the fundraising type of meetings. And as I wrote those words on that page, home, a near, listen, the near supernatural power of scheduling, so we don't think of scheduling as supernatural, do we? But he says, in that moment, the near supernatural power of a schedule gripped me for the first time. Now friends, when I read that, when I read these words, um, I think, wow, what incredible personal reflection. There, there is something deeply spiritual about how we spend our time, what we do with our schedule, what we do with those moments that God gives to us. So let me ask you a different question, even a bigger question. Maybe we shouldn't be asking, what do we need to get done? Maybe we shouldn't be asking, what do we need to get done in, in the next seven days, in the next 30 days, or the next three months? Maybe the question should be much bigger and much broader than that. Maybe we should be asking, starting our life off, starting our schedule off with the question, who am I becoming? And what do I want to become? And what does God want me to become? Maybe we should think much deeper and broader about our lives. Amen? You probably all recognize the name John Grisham. Anybody here of John Grisham? One of the world's most famous authors. Uh, I think he's sold almost three hundred million books. Has done pretty well for himself. Um, I don't know if you know this, but he is a devoted follower of Christ. He he loves God. He's very, by all accounts, he's a great man. He's very involved with his local church. He, he's very involved with nonprofit and missionary type of efforts. The, the man just lives a great life. Uh, but he tells the story of how he decided to become an author. He, he, he says he was a lawyer at first, and he hated it. He hated arguing all the time. He hated fighting all the time. That was just his world as a lawyer, and he just didn't enjoy it at all. And so one day, he decided, I want to become an author. And so he looked at his already overly busy life, and he decided he had to change his schedule And so what he did was remarkable. He had no time to change anything. So what he did was he rolled back his already beginning at an early hour type of an existence. He rolled it back to an even earlier hour. He went to work an hour early. And he vowed to himself, I'm going to go an hour early and I'm going to do nothing with work. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to write for 60 minutes a day. My goal, he said, was to write one page a day. That's it. If I just got one page a day, I would be doing something that I wanted to do in my life. Now, God used that man, and God used that little schedule change in pretty tremendous ways. He's become one of the most famous authors in human history. 60 minutes a day. And you guys go, well, well, Jay, that's just like a one in a million. Oh, you know, he's lucky. No, 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 no. What that is, it's the power of making better use of your time like the scripture says in Ephesians. It's the power of deciding what to do with your time. It's the power of scheduling. It's the power of saying, God, what do you want from me? And what do you want to do in me? And what is it going to take to get me there? And then putting that in your calendar, beginning with the end in mind. How important is a commitment on a calendar? What, what could it possibly mean in your life? Let me tell you. I have conversations like this around Metro all the time. People come up and so "Go." They go, "Oh, Jay, that, that message was awesome." I mean, they do. They do. They, they come. Up, they go. Man, that was like sh- that was for me. Like that whole bucket thing. I mean, like that was like my whole life. Like I am at the bottom, and I got to figure this out. And I got to, man, just inspire me, man. You know, and, and, and they say things like, honestly, they come and they go, man, that, that series, How to Ruin Your Life, and the idea of carrying a grudge, man, I have carried a grudge so deep in my life forever, and it's killing my soul, but that changed my life, and it's, it's, I'm going somewhere. But in those same conversations, I'm like, all right, man, all right. Those same conversations, way too often include a little phrase, tack on, that say something like this. They go, man, it meant everything to me. It changed my life, man. And I couldn't believe it, man. I wasn't even gonna come to church today. I wasn't, I wasn't even thinking I was going to be here this weekend. I wasn't planning on coming. And you know what? In my mind, I'm going, what? What? Are you, are you serious? You, you didn't plan to be in church this weekend. You know, sometimes if I know the people a little bit, I don't yell at everybody, but, but, I, but I yell at a lot of people. And so uh, um, if, I, if I had some leverage and people's like, I've, I've seen this, if this is you, I just apologize now. I'm using your story. But, but I'll go like, what do you mean you didn't plan on being on church? What do you mean you didn't schedule it in to be here? I mean, you, you want to love Christ. You want to you know Christ. You want to be more like him. You want to grow this spirit inside. You want to take these next steps of faith, and you didn't plan on being here? No, man. And it's like you lay around in the weekend, and you're like flipping a coin going, do I want to go and be with God today? It's like heads or tails to you? It blows my mind. I, I can't even conceive of that, Right? And I hear this kind of thing all the time. You know, Jesus had a schedule. The one that we say we love and the one that we say we want to follow, we'll follow him to church. Because, listen, because, listen, this is so important. Jesus had a schedule. Here's what this, uh, the book of uh, the, the Gospel of Luke says. It's, it's a remarkable little uh, statement in chapter four. It says that, that Jesus, on the Sabbath day, went to a worship gathering. And then it has this little phrase. As was his custom. In other words, this was part of his deal. This was part of his next steps. This was part of his growth. This was part of who he was. He didn't sit around going, "Well, should I go to church this weekend or what?" <laughs> He's like, "Of course I'm going. That's where God is. That's where God's people are. Of course I'm going to go and be part of this." You know, who do you want to become? then you've got to schedule that in life. If you have even a remote interest in taking next steps with God, if you even have remote interest in taking next steps and following Jesus to know him more, to love him more, to have his heart beat deeper inside of your heart, to gain his direction for who you are in life, um, the church is like like an obvious starting place. But from the very beginning of the days of this church, from the time we we, we first started, I've been trying to beat this into you and and I don't want to feel like I have to beat into you, but this is just so critical to our spirit life. If we want to grow, then we have to plan to grow. I've been saying from the very earliest days that you need to figure out a way to put God's word inside of you. Don't let me just spoon it to you. Don't let somebody up here just give it to you. You have to figure out how to put it in you. And so I've been saying forever around here, you need to find a chair. And you need 10 or 15 minutes with God. I've been saying this for 10 years to some of you, that you need to get a Bible and open the Bible and figure out what God is saying to you. You don't need to read 10 chapters. You just have to read something to get God's word into you. You just have to say, God, I just need you to show me something. And you might read one verse and go, woo, that is something right there. And that is enough to carry you closer to God. And sometimes it may take a little longer, but you need 10 minutes with God. And then you need to pray. And then you need to talk to God. And you need to begin by just saying, God, thank you. God, thank you for caring about me. Thank you for the way you've blessed my life. You're sitting in your favorite chair and you're just gonna go, God, thank you for loving me and loving my little family. For being so good to us, even when it's a mess sometimes, you are still more good to us than I could even dream. Thank you for your grace in my life. And then you need to tell God your concerns. You need to talk to your father who loves you deeply and tell him what you're worried about, what you're struggling with. You just need to talk to God and learn to love him more. For almost for 14 years now, I've been trying to get each of you to pray a simple prayer every single day that says something like, speak to me, O God, for your for your child is listening. Friends, if we're going to grow our soul, we need to schedule it. We need to plan it into our lives. It needs to become important. You want to know the power of schedule. It's amazing. Um, I have uh, an older brother named Bob. He lives in Tennessee. That's why you never see him around here. Um, I love this guy. He's a great guy. Um, But most of Bob's life, he was fat. I mean, not just a little bit, but like hundreds of pounds overweight. And uh, one day, and Bob was sick of it, by the way. He hated it. He didn't like who he was. He didn't like wh- what he was becoming. He didn't like it, uh, the effects on his health. He didn't like the effects on his emotions. He didn't like the effects in his family. He didn't like the effects on his wallet. He, he didn't like who, who he was becoming. And, and so one day, Bob decides to literally change everything. Like just on a dime, he just decides to change. And he schedules two things into his life. Number one, he scheduled a whole new diet into his life. And number two, three days a week, an hour in the morning before work, he decided, I'm going to go to the gym no matter what, and I'm going to work out as hard as I can for an hour. Listen to this. A year later, he's down 110 pounds. Eight years later, he looks just just like me. It's crazy. He's lost 200 pounds. It's insane. His whole life, amen, yeah. His whole life is different. So who do you want to become? Then schedule it. Prioritize it. Your schedule determines who you're becoming in this world. They will determine your successes, and they will determine your failures every single time. Um, we, we do this thing called Financial Peace University around here. And, um, you know, I, 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 have really, I have the incredible honor to get to know so many of our people around here. It's, it's amazing. And I got to know some of you rather well. And I know that many of you have no financial peace in your life. You, you have nothing but financial chaos in your life. Um, I was mentoring a couple fairly recently, and uh, they were in dire straits financially. And uh, so we're talking, and the man finally, he's fed up, and he, he can't seem to get this right. And, and he's saying uh, he says to me, he goes, next time they call, and I say, who's they? He goes, well, no, no, the bill collectors. They call all the time. I'm like, what, they call all the time? He goes, yeah, next time they call, I'm just going to tell them, come and get my house right now because I'm tired of arguing about it. Just come and get my house. And I'm like going, don't you dare say that to them. Are you crazy? You're not thinking straight. You're, you're, you're straight, Your bucket's empty. You're not making your best decisions. And I said, listen, here's what we need to do. We need to get together, and we need to make a plan. We need to make a plan to do this right. And then I, I told them about this thing called Financial Peace University. I said, here's what you need to do. You need to schedule 90 minutes into your life each week for nine weeks, and you need to go to this thing called Financial Peace University. It's incredible. We have had hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of our people go through this, and it has totally changed many of their lives. It's totally revolutionized how they think about money and where they're at in their financial world. It's changed their whole world. Uh, Time for that. You will if you're homeless. Right? What do you want to be? Who do you want to become? Then you have to schedule. If you want great things in your life, you're going to have to figure out how to put the great things first into your life. You're going to have to figure out how to, to schedule it. Some of you right now are going, like, you know, Jay, that just sounds like it's magical or something. You're saying, like, if I put it on my schedule, I'm going to, like, lose 100 pounds? Nope. If I put it on the schedule, I'm going to make it big in the stock market? No. But what I am saying is that by doing right things over and over, over long periods of time, despite how you feel, you will become successful at whatever effort you're putting forward. It will grow inside of you. That's just how God has set it up. Absolutely, there are setbacks in all of our life. But we need to plan to become who it is we want to become. Amen? You hear me, friends? And it starts with what we seek most. Who is at the center of our soul? Not you, not me, it's God, it's not the church. It's your relationship with God. Seek first your relationship with Him. Here, here's how Jesus says it. If, if, he, he says in this very famous. Um, section of preaching that Jesus teaches us something about, about those of us who are tired of being stressed out, those of us who are tired of being anxious, those of us who are tired of the complexities of this life, and we want a simpler soul. We want to get the right things to be the right things in our life. Here's what he says. Listen to Jesus' words. He says, Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. on. Is not your life more than just food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they are? Verse 27, and which of you by being anxious can add even a single hour to the span of his life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field. In other words, consider the flowers of the field. He, he says, how, look how they grow, and, and they neither toil nor they spin. In other words, they don't work to become beautiful. He, he says, and yet I tell you that even Solomon, King Solomon, all of his richness, all of his glory, all the money in the world, listen, was not arrayed like any of these. In other words, Solomon, he was sporting it. Woo! But he didn't look anything as good as a, that field that God put together the beauty of this world. He says, some of y'all, y'all get ready for church and you're like, I'm looking good. He's like, yeah, you look good, but you ain't looking that good. You don't look nearly as good as what God did in creation. And they didn't even have to work at it. God did that for them. So he says, why are you worried? He says, uh, listen to this, but if God clothes the grass of the field, which is today alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, in other words, it doesn't last very long, um, will he... uh, Oh, I lost my place. Throw, oh, oh, and will he, uh, shoot. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, but if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? Oh, you of little faith, verse 31. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles, that's people who don't even know God, they seek after all of these things and your heavenly Father knows that you need all of them. But seek first, listen, but seek what? But seek what? Say it. First. Seek first. Above everything else, he knows you need all this stuff. He knows there are things that you have to do. There is a to-do list for all of us. He knows that. But at the very top of that list, he says, seek first the kingdom of God. And everything else you worry about, he will take care of it. Everything else you struggle for, he will take care of it. Everything else that you toil after, he hasn't forgotten. He knows your needs. And he remembers them. And he promises to meet you in some way. But seek first the kingdom of God and all of these things will be added to you. There's there's a key to this soul rest. There is this key to simplicity. And it's seeking first the kingdom of God. If we, want to be a, if we want to have this simple life, this, this simple soul, it boils down to one thing. It's seeking first the kingdom of God, putting God first in your calendar, uh, spending time with him, saying, listen, I, I'm going to tell you something. Serving God and serving his church is far more important than watching TV. If you're only going to choose one thing, seek first the kingdom of God. If you only have time for one thing, put God first in some way, in some measure in your life. And it will not go bad for you. God will use that in incredible ways. And so here's what I want to do to kind of end this whole little series on simplifying. Um, I'm going to read to you a top 10 list that Richard Foster put together about this idea of, he's like this Yoda of spiritual development. The guy just blows my mind. And he puts together this little list. He says, you know what? You You want your life to head in a more soulful direction? You want your life to, to be connected more deeply to God? He puts together this little list. And he says, I want you to think about these things. Think about doing these things. And so I'm just going to throw them at you very, very quickly. You may want to write one or two of these down. They are really, really good. So this is his list. I'm just going to make a few comments on it. Here's what he says first. Um, first, he says, buy things for their usefulness rather than for their status. So anti-American, right? I mean, this is crazy talk, right? Because he goes on and says something really, really crazy. He, he, he says, this is everything against American culture. He says, cars should be bought for their utility, not for prestige or to impress people. He talks about how we buy, 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 and so much of what we buy, buy, buy is simply to impress others that we hardly even know. It's to keep up with people that we hardly know. Even no, we don't need all the junk that we buy, and ultimately, the stuff that we own, he writes, ultimately owns us. Isn't that the truth? Don't you feel like all you're doing is maintaining a bunch of stuff in life? It's like why do I even own all this stuff, right? Um, he, he ends up saying this: what we thought would bring happiness ends up controlling us. Uh, and, and I know you think this like this is crazy talk, but I think he's he's right. I think. A little of this kind of thinking will go a long ways in our life. Just a little bit of this in our life will change the direction of our life. Here's what he writes second. Second, he says, reject anything that produces an addiction in you. Wow. Think about the, the depth of that statement. He says, if you want to simplify your life, make sure you never become addicted to anything. Anything. He says, learn to distinguish between real psychological need, like cheerful surroundings, and an addiction. They're two different things. You do need some things. But he says, make sure you discern the difference between psychological need and real, truly addictive things. He says, eliminate or cut down on any use of addictive things, such as non nutritional drinks, alcohol, coffee, tea, Coca Cola, and on and on. Notice he did not say diet Mountain Dew. <laughs> I'm just saying. Chocolate, he writes. Chocolate. Any addicts in the room? Chocolate addicts. Chocolate has become a serious addiction for many, many people. <laughs> True. Um, if you become addicted to television, this is where he sounds a little bit like Jeremy. He says, if you become addicted to the television or stuff on the computer, by all means, smash it. Give it away. Sell it, he writes. And any of the media that you cannot do without... He says, that is the very thing that you should get rid of. TV, books, movies, magazines, videos, stereos, get rid of it because it controls you. That's crazy talk right here, right? He says, if money, listen to this, he says, if money has a grip on your heart, give some of it away and you will feel an inner release from God. Wow. Simplicity, he says, is freedom. It's never slavery. And listen to this. So he says, refuse to be a slave to anything but God. We could talk a whole session on that, right? He says, make sure that nothing captures your heart deeply besides God. Nothing. Wow. Third, he says, you want to develop the simple kind of heart toward God? Develop a habit of giving things away. This guy's crazy, right? He says, listen, just develop the habit of giving things away. If you find that you're becoming more and more attached to possessions, consider giving it to someone who could probably use it more than you. Just give it away. Then he writes, I still remember the Christmas that I decided rather on buying or even making an item for somebody at Christmas time, I decided I would give stuff away that was really important to me, that meant a lot to me. My motives were actually selfish in doing so. I wanted to feel the liberation or the freedom that comes from the simple act of giving away, even if it led to my own poverty. Wow. The gift this particular year that I decided I need to give away was my favorite thing in the world, my 10-speed bike. And then he writes this, as I went to the person's home to deliver the present, I remember singing with a new meaning and a new passion the old worship chorus that said, freely, freely, you have received, and freely, freely, you shall give. Must be an old hymn or something, I'm not familiar with that one. It's great. Then he writes this, deaccumulate. Masses of things that are not needed simply complicate your life. Anybody? It's true. They must be, listen, they must be sorted and stored and dusted, and then resorted and restored and redusted, and then resorted, restored, and redusted, and it goes on and on. Most of us could get rid of, he writes, most of us could get rid of half of our possessions without any serious sacrifice at all. Wow. And then he writes, we would do well to follow the counsel of David Thoreau, the famous author. Simplify. Simplify. David Thoreau quoted that. All right, fourth, he writes this. Refuse to be propagandized by the custodians of modern gadgetry. Think about that. Refuse to be propagandized by the custodians of modern gadgetry. In other words, don't buy everything they try to sell you right? Listen to what Foster writes. Time-saving devices almost never save time. Be aware of the promises. It will pay for itself in six easy months. Most gadgets that are built to actually break down and wear out, and they end up complicating your life because you have to figure out what to do with them when you have to fix them. True. The problem is uh, one of the plagues in America is the toy industry. Listen to this, parents. Children do not need to be entertained by dolls that cry, eat, wet their pants, sweat, Or spit. There's enough of that in real life. (laughs) An old rag doll can be more enjoyable and more lasting. Often children find more joy in playing with old pots and pans than they do with the latest space gadgets, right? Um, Look for toys that are educational and durable and even try making some yourself. Propagandists, marketers, he writes, he says, they try to convince us because of the the, that it's the newest model that we need its new features. We must sell the old one and buy the new one. Phones, he says, have new apps. Stereos have new buttons. Cars have new designs. Such media dogma, in other words, what they're selling you, needs to be scrutinized, carefully scrutinized. Often, new features seduce us into buying something we really don't need. Probably, he writes, that refrigerator that has served you so long will probably last the rest of your life just. Fine. You don't need a new ice maker. You may want one. But you don't need it. Fifth, he says, learn to enjoy things without owning them. Wow. Owning things is an obsession in American culture. If we own it, we feel we can control it, and if we control it, we feel like it will give us more pleasure. The idea is an illusion. Many things in life can be enjoyed without possessing them or controlling them. Share things. Find friends, make friends, and share things. Genius. Is that not genius? He says, enjoy the beach without having to feel like you have to buy part of the beach. <laughs> enjoy public parks and libraries. This is so brilliant, right? Simple but brilliant. Six, he says, develop a deeper appreciation for cre- uh, creation. Get close to the earth. Walk whenever you can. Enjoy God. Listen to the birds, enjoy the texture of grass and the leaves underneath your feet. Smell the flowers, Uh, marvel in the rich colors everywhere that God has made. Simplicity means to discover once again what the psalmist knew when he said in Psalm 24, the earth is the Lord and all the fullness therein. It all belongs to God. That's so awesome. Seventh, he writes this, Look with healthy skepticism, the buy now and pay later mentality. Look at it with healthy skepticism. We've preached about this a thousand times around here. Um, He writes, they are a trap and only deepen your bondage. And some of that bondage ends up with such bitterness. And that is so true. Anybody? Your car wore out before you even got done paying it. Right? It's true. Um, The entirety of the scriptures, friends, it teaches us to be patient, to be wise, and to buy when you can afford it and if you get that backwards friends it will not simplify your life it will only complicate your life every single time um, eighth he writes this um, obey Jesus' instruction about plain honest speech anybody in the room ever tell a lie anybody come on anybody liars raise your hands <laughs> see i knew it um, how did that end for you Did it simplify your life or complicate your life? Almost every time it complicates who you are. And and this is what he writes about this. He says, deceit of any kind just complicates who you are. Jesus said, let your yes be yes and your no be no. Anything more than that comes from the devil. When you lie, it's from the devil. It's It's that simple. If you deceive somebody, it is simply from the devil. If you commit to do something, he writes, do it. And may I add, be on time. This came out. Uh, He says, avoid flattery and half-truths. Make honesty and integrity the distinguishing characteristics of who you are. Wow. Talk about a simple life. If we could just get that one down. What a better life. Nine, he writes this. Reject anything that breeds oppression of others. I don't even need to comment on that. Reject anything. 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 It hurts other human beings. Incredible. Tenth, and the final one, he says this. Shun anything that distracts you from seeking first the kingdom of God. You know what the word shun means? It means to turn away from it. Don't even look at it. Don't even go down that street. He says, shun it. Move away from it. He, he writes, shun anything that's distracts you from seeking first the kingdom of God. And then he writes, it is so easy to lose focus in the pursuit of legitimate things, even good things, even things like job, position, status, family, friends, and security. These things and many, many more can take you all too quickly away from having God as the center of your attention and your affection. Seek first the kingdom of God and everything else is added to you. So friends, there seems to be this tension between what we want to become, what we want our soul to be like, and what our lives are really like. There there's, tends to be this tension about the direction we want our life to go and the schedule that we've allowed to drive our lives. And and what I think Foster is saying here, and what I've been trying to communicate all night, is very, very simple. That if we don't get the outward life to line up with the inward desire, both will be an utter failure. We will never become who God wants us to be. And our outward life will never achieve the things that we truly want to achieve if we don't somehow get these things to line up together. Amen? Amen. So God, we come before you and just take a moment uh, to quiet ourselves, to ask that you would speak to us anew. God, we don't want to just come in here and play church and hear something we go, oh, that's good. Oh, that's really good. And then we walk out the same. Matter of fact, right now, you may just need to talk to God. You might just need to say, God, here's what I'm going to do. Here's number one. This is the number one thing I need to do right now. This is number one. You probably already know what that is. You might as well commit that to him right now. What is the one thing God is speaking into you? Tell him. Think about how you're going to reprioritize your schedule right now. Ask him to give you wisdom. Ask him to give you leadership and strength. Courage to make changes. To reprioritize, to reschedule. It's deeply spiritual. Ask him. Father, would you speak to each and every one in this room? Speak, oh God, for your child is listening. Amen. Amen. Amen.